Think of the children, please, because genetics matter. Hi, my name is Bob Grinier and welcome to RemoteView.ICU. Perception of risk. The sniffles fear in the West arguably started in Italy via tens of thousands of textile factory workers who flew from Wuhan, China, to northern Italy. At the beginning, there was little known about how to treat the condition, and a lot of people died due to what was thought to be the correct approach, intubation, which turned out to be a death sentence for many. On reviewing the data, the highest medical authorities in Italy found recently that the reality of the danger from this disease is far from the perception. They made their findings public in a press conference on 21st of October 2021, and it concluded that 97.1% of deaths hitherto attributed to COVID were not due directly to COVID. It goes on, of the 130,468 deaths registered as official COVID deaths since the start of the pandemic, only 3,783 are directly attributable to the virus alone. Similar scale data adjustments emerged in September 2021 when looking again at US public data where only 6% of deaths attributed to COVID had no other cause for death. This makes the sniffles about as dangerous as seasonal flu or less. Death comes to us all. It is very hard to deal with. I have experienced the trauma of a family member dying. Most people will in their lives. However, I don't personally know anyone that has died of the sniffles. Moreover, if someone does think that they know someone that died from COVID, there is a good chance, based on the Italian and US data, that they are wrong 95% of the time. It was likely another cause that was the major factor in their sad demise. Something that could be very hard to accept for someone once they had believed it was caused by something else. That being said, I know my mother suffered a collapse and was rushed to hospital a few days after her first AstraZeneca jab. Later, she showed high cancer markers in her blood, which rose again after her second jab. They provisionally said she had ovarian cancer, to which she retorted, I highly doubt that since I had them removed three decades ago. Ever since her second jab, she has had brain fog, such that she cannot read easily, something she enjoyed greatly, and this has led to depression. This looks like a life-changing effect of her submitting to the jab. Was it worth it? Will the sacrifice really protect her? Let's look at jab effectiveness. The tragedy in the public data of all countries, as far as I know, is that no one has been testing for antibodies prior to jabbing, which means, without a question, there will be a large proportion of the jabbed that already had natural immunity. This is never meaningfully part of the conversation. It is complete nonsense to say that we are experiencing a pandemic of the unjabbed because many of the jabbed may be long-term immune due to their previously acquired natural immunity, not because of the jab. Doctors, nurses and any community-facing employees or social individuals and their families particularly come to mind. No one can ever say, without extensive testing, that lack of cases in the jabbed cohort is solely from the jab. But we can, with certainty, say that the protection in the recovered unjabbed is from natural immunity. As an example, 
By March the 1st, 2021, it was estimated by Masaryk University Brno that up to half of the Czech Republic had been infected with the sniffles. At this time, only 2.32% of the population had been jabbed. Given that as of 8th of November 2021, 57.29% have been fully jabbed, it is likely that a large proportion of these have prior natural immunity. Vaccine failure. In the UK, you are only considered fully jabbed 14 days after your second jab. My nephew and his girlfriend, both in their late 20s, were jabbed with Pfizer and he caught the sniffles six weeks later and passed it on to his partner in a few days. I learned that he got it from a colleague at work just a few days after that person had attended a concert. In the UK, to attend concerts, you have to meet one of the following criteria. You have completed a full course of vaccination at least 14 days ago. You have received a negative PCR or lateral flow test result within 36 hours of the event. Or you have proof of natural immunity by way of positive PCR test at least 180 days ago. I understand that his colleague is jabbed. That means he can go to the concert easy peasy. Jabbed people don't have to test. So they could go to the concert carrying the infection without symptoms. On the other hand, unjabbed have to have caught the infection, not be ill enough to want to stay at home, but able to transmit it all in a 36 hour window. Therefore, logically speaking, it is most probable that a jabbed person infected my nephew's colleague. Each inoculation to positive case took three to four days. The implications are that most likely an infected jabbed person gave it to a jabbed person, gave it to a jabbed person considered fully vaccinated six weeks before, gave it to a jabbed person that was considered fully vaccinated less than seven weeks before. This is an appalling level of failure of this experimental intervention. If this were an experimental support for a parachute and you knew it failed so easily, would you want to have a parachute using that technology for regular skydiving? Things got even closer to home in the past two weeks. My brother-in-law and sister got their second AstraZeneca jab in early June. This means they were officially fully jabbed a few weeks later. Just 126 days later, my brother-in-law was feeling rough and exhausted and tested positive for the sniffles. That means he likely caught it just four months after he thought he was protected. Four more days later, my sister tested positive at the 130-day mark. Out of the seven people I know in my family that are fully vaccinated, four have already caught it post-full vaccination. Moreover, their suffering was about the same as mine, which is interesting since in my home I was the only one of the four of us that even noticed the sniffles. Furthermore, none of us got it again when a year later we had an actively infected guest in our apartment for weeks. As I understand it, for a jab to be classed as a vaccine, it has been traditionally assumed to give protection for at least 50% of the jabbed for at least a year. In my sphere, it has not achieved 50% effectiveness in four months. So at best, this is an inconvenience to the sniffles. So how can this be? 
Well, the jabs were designed to stop the assumed spike part of the version of the virus that originated in Wuhan, China. However, by the time my nephew got his fully protected status, 99.8% of genetic submissions for infections in the UK were for the version said to have evolved in India termed Delta. Since I know that both the Pfizer and AstraZeneca failed both in and out of the household setting in my extended family, and all of the jabs in the UK are currently based on the original virus spike, it is likely that no presently available jab offers lasting protection from the Delta variety. In recent data published in the UK's ZOE COVID study, one might infer that ultimately there will only be a pool of the jabbed left to infect, even if one ignores that some of the jabbed may not have enough symptoms to get tested. Note in this data, the so-called fully vaccinated will certainly include a significant number of recovered, many of whom will have never experienced symptoms or those that were forced or coerced to take the jab to keep their jobs, travel or otherwise participate in life. What I know for sure is none of my own household has caught it again, despite travelling widely and hosting many travelling people in our home over the past 18 months since our recoveries. No jab we could ever take would be better than our natural immunity. There were many ignored virologists and vaccine experts giving early warnings of the dangers of mass vaccination into a pandemic with a potentially leaky vaccine. They stated that it could result in evolutionary pressure on the virus to produce a variant that escapes the protection given by those jabs. It certainly looks like their fears were proven true with Delta and variants thereof, as everywhere you look, this variant is on the path to dominance. If we could exclude all people with prior known or unknown infections, most of those that have had the current family of jabs could ultimately become as vulnerable to Delta as those that have had no jabs at all. If other early views had been permitted and we only jabbed the very old and the infirm, this situation may never have occurred as a range of virus variants may have persisted conferring greater protection to those that needed it most. The jabs themselves select for the Delta-based variants and this ensures the majority of jabs currently available in the West are compromised. Those at the highest level know that these jabs are not fit for purpose. I started writing this blog on the 2nd of November 2021. However, as I review it on the 12th, I have learned that both Bill Gates and the Director General of the World Health Organization have admitted in recent days that the current jabs do not stop transmission, which de facto means they don't stop people catching it. So my personal experience is corroborated by two of the people in the world most likely to know what is going on at a global level. In short, the jabs don't work. The fact I am immune and I have not been able to catch it, despite trying for weeks at the one-year point and the 16-month point from actively infected people and have travelled widely on trains, buses and planes over the year, gives me confidence that natural immunity will be long-lived as it was found to be with SARS-CoV-1, where immunity was found in previously infected subjects 17 years later. None of my unjabbed household have been able to catch it again either. 
In response to an attorney's Freedom of Information access request, the US Center for Disease Control admits that it has no record of an unvaccinated person spreading COVID after recovering from COVID. If there were a large number of such cases, you could be pretty certain they would be recording this data. Furthermore, there are real risks with taking the jabs. Remember all those early videos of people falling over in Wuhan? Well, I have never seen that in the West, but it is not hard to find many examples of it publicly happening to people after getting the jab. It is actually exactly what happened to my own mother who gave me half of my genes. But there are many more examples these days. For instance, in the last five months, 75 European athletes have kneeled over with heart conditions. My father had problems with his heart, something that eventually caused his death at 72. I never knew my grandfather on his side because he died in his early 50s from a heart attack. Given the known problems relating to the heart and blood clots associated with these jabs, clearly skewed towards men, as a naturally immune person, I would have to be clinically mad to take one of them and homicidal to permit my immune son to be jabbed. As long as I breathe, that is not going to happen. For the record, as my son was born in India and spent his first six months there, he has had more real vaccines than many people know exist. I am all for proven safe products where the reward-risk ratio is known to be very high. Looking at a different pathology, an Italian friend of the man I share an office with, who I have personally met before, woke up a number of weeks after his second jab to find he was essentially paralysed and could not move his body. He was taken to hospital where he was told he had developed a systemic, that means whole body, autoimmune reaction. He spent several weeks in hospital and was able to regain some mobility and was eventually discharged to recover further at home. He has been told he will likely need to take drugs for the rest of his life to prevent his body from attacking itself. Because he is pro-vaccination, he does not wish to be public about it. But the doctors he is interacting with apparently have referred it all the way up the hierarchy in Italy and are studying his case closely. There is a similar high-profile case of a top mountain biker called Kyle Warner in the public domain. Given that I have the autoimmune condition of gout, also inherited from my father, as a naturally immune person, I would again have to be bonkers to take the jab. Pregnancy and beyond. A pregnant family I stayed with in the UK this summer were deeply opposed to getting the jab. And that is their choice, which should be respected. In recent weeks, they celebrated the arrival of their healthy child. The neighbouring family to them, however, decided to get jabbed mid-pregnancy and the expecting mother received her second jab at 24 weeks. At 27 weeks, they lost their baby. As someone who has known and helped people with fertility problems for many years, I cannot imagine what is going through the parents' heads. A recent study from two doctors, one at the University of Auckland, New Zealand, pointed to problems in pregnancies. Called Spontaneous Abortions and Policies on COVID-19 mRNA Vaccine Use During Pregnancy, they conclude, 
Considering the evidence presented here, we suggest the immediate withdrawal of mRNA vaccine use in pregnancy and those breastfeeding, alongside the withdrawal of mRNA vaccines to children or those of childbearing age in the general population, until more convincing data relating to the safety and long-term impacts on fertility, pregnancy and reproduction are established in these groups. But what of those that do reach full term? The truth is, there obviously cannot be much data in this case, since most couples in the world have not been vaccinated for over nine months. However, I have been told of only one thus far, my nephew's friend. Although he is young, apparently he has quite a high rank in the UK Navy. As a service person, he and by extension his fiancée were some of the very first people in the UK to get fully jabbed. They were planning to get married in 2021, but the restrictions in UK and commitments pushed them to organise it for the end of 2021. There was also the small matter of them getting pregnant. A few months back they gave birth. However, the child was found to be tragically afflicted with a wide range of issues that I cannot go into. None of them showed themselves in routine screening during pregnancy. Now, since it has been reported that the contents of the jabs can work their way to the ovaries, testes and travel across the umbilical cord, perhaps if this has some effect on either the eggs, sperm or developing baby, then one has to wonder if their child's problems might be related to them both being jabbed. A report from researchers at two Swedish universities called SARS-CoV-2 spike impairs DNA damage repair and inhibits VDJ recombination in vitro, suggests that full-length spike proteins, which are synthesized by most of the available jabs, inhibit the major ways that cells in our bodies correct DNA damage. This might potentially explain the cancer markers found in my mother's blood after her jabs as older people's cells tend to make more errors as they divide, and if the error checking and correction mechanisms were switched off or impaired, then it stands to reason there would be a quick progression to cancer. More concerning is that it could explain a wide range of problems that may occur in gestation, since, proportionally, there is no time in a human's development where there is more cell division going on. If there were uncorrected errors compounding during the fetus development and these were out of the ordinary, they may present themselves in unpredictable ways that might not be picked up in the womb as it is without precedent. The couple cancelled their wedding and have spent the last few months at home caring for their infant. I was informed on the 10th of November 2021 their child had passed away. I know what it feels like to console a person very close to me who has lost their 10-year-old child, but that was to an accident at school. To suspect that actions you chose based on your faith in authority and willingness to do the right thing may have led to the death of your own infant, that might make one bitter and resentful also. There is some level on which you might come to terms with it, I guess, such as no one could know and I had to do it for my job. But there is evidence of problems with reproduction, even in the development of these techniques, and this should have been part of the informed consent with these barely tested products. I pray for the couple's mental healing. What excuse could a parent have if they encouraged their own child to take a jab for convenience? 
Earlier this year, another Italian friend's colleague in Italy, obviously still suffering under the false impression given by the then unadjusted Italian death rate, chose, for convenience, to encourage his family to get vaccinated so it was easier to travel during this year. Three weeks after the man's 18-year-old son had his second jab, he experienced a terrible headache and so he went to hospital to seek help. He died of a brain hemorrhage. I am aware of no reasonable explanation for the death and no one wants to consider that it had something to do with the choice to get the jab. Personally, as a father, I would find it very difficult to deal with. In recent days, Germany has joined with the Scandinavian countries in stopping the use of Moderna in the younger populations. And on the 11th of November, Taiwan joined Hong Kong in stopping 12 to 17-year-olds receiving the second Pfizer jabs. But that would not have helped the 18-year-old above. In the UK, only one Pfizer jab is permitted in this 12 to 17-year age group. What happens when these young people who have had their immune systems primed only for the spike protein, finally get the sniffles, as they very likely will. Will they have antibody-dependent enhancement that causes the same injury and death rate as a second jab would have done? Would a natural infection, which likely would have conferred real immunity, been a far safer path for them? On page 5 of the FDA's approval letter of the pfizer Comirnaty vaccine, the paediatric safety study completion dates are 2023 and 2024, yet they are approving the jab for 5 to 11 year olds right now. On page 6 there is study C4591009 called a non-interventional post-approval safety study of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 mRNA vaccine in the United States aimed at evaluating the occurrence of myocarditis and pericarditis after administration of the Comirnaty due for completion June 30th, 2025. Of course, Comirnaty is not actually available in the US, only the no-recourse emergency use authorization version is. What would possess a responsible parent to allow the recourse-free vaccination of their children years before the safety studies are completed? Moreover, Pfizer has changed the formulation of its child-targeted jabs to include tromethamine, an ingredient that stabilises people suffering a heart attack. Healthy children basically don't die from the sniffles, and getting it, as far as I can see, gives good protection. Unhealthy children can die from the jabs, as happened to a 12-year-old in Germany recently, as well as the disease. So, why take an extra chance of death when there are good and cheap treatments for the virus now? In summary, given the extremely low risk from the sniffles for children, and the growing problems with the jabs combined with effective therapeutics and chance of getting real immunity from a recovered infection, I can't imagine why any sane parent would encourage or support their child to get these jabs. Let's look after our little beans. Thank you for listening to remoteview.icu.